Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi. This episode is all about sales enablement and how to get the most out of your sales efforts. With so many changes occurring when it comes to selling, different platforms, the requirement to give more information, many of us find it difficult to manage all that information required to assist a customer through the buying process. Our guest this week is Tamara Schenk, one of the leading experts when it comes to this topic. Tamara is currently the research director at global research firm CSO Insights, advisory board member at the Sales Enablement Society, and co-author of Sales Enablement. Please welcome Tamara to the show. Thanks for having me, Luigi. Oh, fantastic. Um, so look, before we get into this you know, really hot topic, um, please share with us a little bit about you and um, how you started in the world of, of sales and, and sales enablement. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. So yeah, I'm in my business career around 25 years around. <laughs> I initially started with um, a company I had with a partner. So we developed and sold and implemented software for just-in-time suppliers for the automotive industry. So I learned to do all of this Um and uh, then I was an IT consultant for a couple of years and I became a management consultant. I had business development roles. So consultancy is always selling. Yeah. yeah. So you just can't, um, yeah, distinguish that, the selling from delivering. Yeah. And then uh, I started with T-Systems, a Deutsche Telekom company in 28. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And I had a couple of roles there from strategy implementation to sales roles, again, business development roles. And then I was asked to, to co-lead a sales restructuring program. And as usually, uh, you move a few people out and you tell the others that they have higher quota, better <laughs> <laughs> uh, fewer people. And then I started to think about, okay, but how do we actually help our sellers to be able to achieve these goals? Yeah. And then I found that we actually don't help them very well at this point. So, for instance, we had content they should use on 35 different places on a global level. Um, the training landscape was not organized uh, at all, and there was no consistency around it. And we were just about to implement the new sales process and CRM and all this stuff. So, uh, so the thing is always where do you start to to make things better, and it this point, I had a, a senior executive sponsor who was running the portfolio, or you call it the product management part of the house, and he had to consolidate different views of what is it actually we're selling. Yeah. I had to consolidate that, and he had a need to communicate specifically that to the sales force. And I said, you actually, there's a bigger, bigger picture that is where I come from. And so, and he was happy that he had someone who could solve 
this problem. So we started to consolidate the content landscape to implement a sales enabled content platform. And then you go into the content, you see actually the content is not customer focused, it's too product focused. Then you work on that, you develop some frameworks to to get better with all of this. And then you come to the bigger picture and actually what, what is it? we do when it comes when it comes to sales training for our sales folks then you have to orchestrate that piece to make it more customer centric and really orient that um, to the changing buyer behavior things like that and then you come to the coaching part because then you miss oh Maybe we missed something to <laughs> yeah. integrate and and work with the sales managers to help them to become better coaches to really be able to move the needle. So long story short, this is what I did a couple of years yep. until 2013. And in 2014, I changed my role and became an analyst. And I joined CSO Insights. Uh, we are the research division of Miller Hyman Group. We are an independent research a division um, there, and um, yeah, I'm the lead analyst on all things sales enablement. Oh, fantastic. And I'm happy to combine the data, the research, the client work, and also with my own experience, of course. Yeah. So you've had quite an interesting career going from, you know, that just-in-time sort of lean model, um, yeah. becoming, you yeah. know, <laughs> being that consultant, and then moving into, you know, a, a, a VP of sales enablement for quite a large mm-hmm. You know, global business. Um, what attracted mm-hmm. you to the to the Miller Hyman Research Division? It was interesting because uh, when I started to take care about sales enablement, it was two thousand eight nine, and then we were in the implementation phase in two thousand ten, and it was very new at this point, and and also. At this point, it was very focused on this is all about technology that helps to organize your content in a way salespeople need it. Um, And it was the term was promoted by those vendors at this time. And then as you work in this, you you see, oh, I need help. And I um, was looking for help in the industry. And so um, I found Scott Santucci, who was at this time leading the sales enablement practice within Forrester. So I was used to work with with analysts during my career around sales enablement. And I always found this very useful to combine the idea of having data and also having frameworks to be able to apply that to to our context we had at this time at T-Systems and to tailor that accordingly. So that work definitely helped me to be able to develop a more strategic business case because I started this idea as a program and it, I, could, with the help of um, all these, um, all the work we've done at this point, uh, I could develop this to a strategic function back in sales where it, it should be. Um, so, and then I, at this point, I said, I've done all these different facets of sales enablement. of what could be a next career step. And yeah. so I thought, actually, I like this work. <laughs> yeah. I could imagine to, to connect the dots and to look at it from a different perspective. Oh, fantastic. So, I mean, because it's interesting, right? Because that you, you would have been a, quite an early adopter of that sales enablement mm-hmm. movement yeah. if it's 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the challenges that you experienced um, when trying to adopt this new sales enablement methodology? Oh, yeah, so many actually you run from one challenge into the next yeah. one, <laughs> as usual when you start new things. But uh, um, so the first one is, of course, there is a new term and initially it creates fear. 
Yeah. Yeah, because others say, okay, what does that mean? And then uh, some other functions might feel threatened. Um, so at this point, I've, of course, we looked at it at this point from a content perspective, and it's, of course, so much more than that. So alone with that, you cannot move the needle. So you need to connect the dots, of course, across the content landscape, the training, the coaching, the tool, the technology landscape. And it's important to to make sure, and that was the learning journey for me, that it's it's not about creating a new team that's vacuum, vacuuming in everything else that could look like enablement. Because whatever's existing in an organization, if you don't have this function or discipline or initiative right now, everybody in the company wants to help sales. There is product marketing who is sharing decks there is a marketing they do things for sales if it's leads it's content it's social content it's blogs yeah. it's videos and it's polished references case studies white papers all these things there are sales operations they help with the process they provide templates legal they provide contracts and other templates sales yeah. people are asked <laughs> to use and and all these things and then sales training and l d they provide their stuff, and the problem is that all of this doesn't add up to make sense. It, it's usually presented in a way f- from the perspective of these functions. This is what we think sellers and buyers should need, but it's it's not addressing sellers' challenges usually, and as it, it's not consistent and not designed along the customer's path together, it's usually not consistent. Then it creates confusion in the sales force. And if you have your quota, if you are pressured, this is why it's so important to know sales, um, then you simply switch off the noise. If it doesn't make sense to you, you use what you have on your laptop and go for it. And and that's the problem um, sales enablement um, has to solve. it, 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 and this orchestrating element is really, really very important and to have this common design point and it has to be in the age of the customer. It has to be the customer and specifically the entire customer's path or buyer's path or buyer's journey. Um, it's just important to have this bigger picture yeah. um, in mind when doing this. Okay. And the orchestrating role, it's really something that's important and I always want to hammer home because otherwise you create fear in marketing, you create fear in product, you create wherever you are in the organization. Sales ops is asking, well, that's what we do. No, there, there is a difference. Sales ops is more about creating the foundation. They are more the architects of your selling system as processes and procedures and systems and performance management and compensation and pipeline management and sales enablement ideally builds on that to work with people to engage sellers to empower them to enable them to be more successful yeah so just to confirm so because there is there is a bit of a a market um, or a lack of understanding (laughs) in industry about what sales enablement the definition is and what i've heard you say is it's essentially a, a way to orchestrate different areas of the business to pull in information that is customer-centric, that helps the buyer through the buying process. Um, have I sort of understood the definition for, you know, correctly? Yeah, you you have to, the main idea, absolutely. So how we define it specifically is um, that Elton is a strategic collaborative initiative 
because it can come as an initiative, as a function. It is designed to increase um, predictable sales results uh, by providing consistent scalable enablement services for customer-facing professionals and their managers so that they can be uh, valuable in every buyer interaction. It's not a five words definition, I know that, but we wanted to make sure that we define what it is, how it is done, why it is done, and for whom. And that it's also a definition that shows it, it's not the same than sales ops because part of the problem why we're we discussing year over year what sales enablement is, is because there is the same gap of defining what sales operations actually is. Yeah. And this is why this is part of the confusion is that we don't have clarity on a sales upside. So if we want to create clarity on a sales enablement side, we have to solve the problems on both yeah. ends. It's interesting you say that because I often find even, you know, clarity from induction, you know, who owns induction? Is induction owned by the sales mm-hmm. leader or is induction owned by, you know, human resources? Um, there mm-hmm. is a genuine lack of clarity around some of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ancillary functions yeah, which are so we, important yeah we are not in in sales it's it's really interesting uh, because if you look at a finance department you if, if you know if you talk to somebody about an about an EBIT or an EBITDA or what a cash flow is you have a very specific definition and nobody would disagree with that that's yep. a common standard and we still have a long way to go yeah. <laughs> to get to some kind of standard in the sales world <laughs> yeah fantastic so just on that, so, um, you know, that, that, that's a really good definition uh, and, and a way to describe that, that function of sales, sales enablement. Um, you've, obviously, you've authored a, a report um, or you've helped sort of put together mm-hmm. um, a report yeah. that sort of surmises a lot of this stuff. Um, what were some of the big takeaways or some of the key highlights that, you yeah. know, surprised you in that report? Yeah, so all the reports we're doing are always big teamwork at CSO Insights, yeah. so everybody is uh, contributing. Um, and uh, the big surprises we found this year is that uh, sales enablement is still growing, but it's yep. not growing that fast as it was growing the years before. But we've also found that if we now have more than 60% of organizations who say, yeah, we have something we call sales enablement, um, uh, that we have a much higher sales enablement rates, if you will, in organizations that are larger than 250 um, millions in annual revenue and yeah. in specific industries. So like high tech, professional services, uh, IT services, all these industries that experience a disruption of their business models early on. So they have more likely they were more early adapters when it uh, comes to sales enablement so as i come from an it services company earlier on so we had this 2008 9 10 exactly these in, in these years so the services went to the cloud and yeah. all of a sudden it was no longer of any value to talk about how fantastic your data center will look like and at the same time, the buyer roles changed. So, you know, selling cost savings to a CIO was no longer differentiating and insufficient in any way because the buyer roles changed to the CFO was asking, how does that fit into my EBIT model? Very, yeah. very different challenges and very, very different approach um, you need to, um, yeah, to design, to tailor and to, to market and to sell your services. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. And what are some of the ch- challenges that 
you've seen organizations, you know, um, encounter when trying to drive this out. Yeah, so you, yeah, and you ask about what we found in the study specifically. Yeah. So we found specifically that the priority of the sales enablement services have changed a bit. Yep. Um, so we found that sales process improvements would always include it in the sales enablement top three services. It's now um, um, uh, lower ranked. So it also shows that as sales enablement is more growing up, that sales operations takes again ownership of, of their own uh, core responsibilities. So it's sales enablement, the really sales training services are still the number one service. And that means all kinds of sale of skills, methodologies, product, uh, process, social selling, customer value, justification, customer journey, all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, and content is becoming more important that organizations see more and more. Oh, content is not just we you know, we have a nice technology, we can push everything on that platform. Is it is that helpful? No, it is not. Because if you don't have organized your content yeah. in a way that that engages sellers and helps to facilitate buyer interactions, you know, it, it, it doesn't create the value you are looking for. Yep. Then sales coaching is becoming more and more important and organizations are becoming more mature when it comes to sales coaching. Um, and of course, technology plays um, a bigger role every year. Um, and we cover, we try to capture the whole idea of designing enablement services in a way that it's engaging seller, but more importantly, engaging buyers. At the end of the day, we capture this in this year's study. Another big theme of customer engagements: so what are the components to it, and where where is the industry? Yeah, and are you finding that? You know, you mentioned earlier that some of the bigger organizations are the ones that have really adopted the sales enablement approach. Um, what about the sort of, you know, the, the small medium enterprises, the mid-market, 50 mil, uh -huh. 100 mil? Uh -huh. um, have you seen any of those organizations adopt these practices? Yeah. So uh, the good news is um, those organizations are adapting sales enablement um, ideas and it is usually a much simpler for them because yeah. they don't have another 10 divisions, another yeah. 10 business units. They have to orchestrate yeah. things across. So and in imagine organizations in that size, they very often have already sales and marketing under one leadership in a more integrated way. So then it's easier to get to a, a shared vision of future success, what sales enablement should do. Yeah. The good news is it's very often simpler. Even if you should work with the frameworks and ideas, the implementation is simpler as you have less stakeholders to get on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but definitely you don't have to work through a lot of different business units and so on and to, to get more executive stakeholders aligned. So, um, yeah, that's actually the good news. So less bureaucratic buying or less bureaucratic tape enables the, the, the sort of the smaller organizations to really drive that sales enablement function. Yeah, okay. it, it's really the idea. Do I have a team that thinks backwards from the customer's path and is able to assess what is it actually we have in terms of content. Is the content in any way designed to serve the different phases of the customer's path or is actually, if you're honest, what we have more around our products, yeah. you know, it's deep dive on our products yeah. or is it really designed to engage buyers? That can be done in an assessment, a content management framework can be 
designed in a process to orchestrate a course, maybe the enablement team, the product and the marketing team when it comes to content creation. So okay. usually these are the core teams that can be a starting point. Or if somebody says we have a bigger issue with our training and seller engagement and, and coaching product, you can also say, okay, what is it actually we are doing? It is consistent in any way. How do we make sure that our sales force is able to apply the skills we need yeah. um, in a, to f- yeah to respond to the modern buyer if that's value messaging if that's social selling if this is a, a strong sales methodology that that's applied you can also come from from this perspective it doesn't matter where you start you should have this bigger vision in mind that at the end of the day you have to integrate these enablement services to align all of them and to make sure that you move the needle and with all of this having said that less is more yeah okay so that's really, it's a really I, I, I really love the way you keep referring back to moving that needle um you know and and, and having that positive sort of yeah. growth from a sales perspective um for organizations who haven't built a sale, you know, a formal sales management function. Share with us what they should do to, to commence this you know, build of capability and where should they start? Yeah, so I, I hate to say that, but it depends. So it really, I would start with what we found is the most important thing is how you set up the idea of sales enablement in your organization. And if you rename an existing team and say, this is now what they are doing, yep. not looking at the strategy, this is not a good idea. Actually, this is a recipe for failure. Okay. <laughs> so you should take the time. If there is a sales leader that <clears throat> who says, yes, let's tackle this thing because we have a few challenges. <clears throat> then it's really important to understand what is the business, what is the sales strategy? How are we actually doing when it comes to executing the sales strategy? So I will find some strengths, some challenges, weaknesses, and gaps. So, and that actually describes the scope of sales enablement in that specific organization. Um, And the strategy that should be developed from that analysis should always be connected to the sales leaders and the senior exec strategic initiatives. So what is important to them? What are the metrics they have to achieve? What are the KPIs they are measured on they have to achieve in this fiscal year in the next 18 months or whatever that time frame is? And then you can come to a situation where you say, okay, We've actually done a lot. Our process stuff is fine. You know, the, the skills, we, we are fine with onboarding. Maybe we have that situation, but we're actually very product-centric. In our sellers actually talk way too much about product. So we are not really focused on the customer's path. So you could yeah. come up with a situation where you're saying, we have to define a new value messaging approach. We have to get this straight from marketing messaging to sales messaging. And we first have to develop that and then we have to develop the skills and then we have to reinforce it via coaching that our sales managers are actually able to coach along those lines. That could be a scope in a specific organization. And in a second organization, it could be a different challenge. They maybe just have done that. So they have a different challenge. This is why it really depends on the analysis work. It's really important to look at the challenges when it comes to executing the strategy what is it we really need to do so should one should one organization review the skills of their people first before embarking on the sales enablement project or yeah so skill assessment um 
can can be a, a very important um, thing to do, assessing the content that's available, assessing the training landscape that's yeah. existing, and also looking, um, yeah, at the sales process together with sales operations. Yeah, you know, is it used? Is it not used? Why? Yeah, so is is something that has to be improved in that because the process landscape is the, the backbone of it. Because enablement services have a hard time to exist in a vacuum. Yeah, ideally yeah. I should be able to connect them to a process that comes from the customer's path. Yeah, because it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because it, some of the most mature sales organisations that have, you know, very defined sales frameworks and sales processes. You know, some of their challenges mm-hmm. is is around um, process uh, adherence. Um, is getting salespeople mm-hmm. to adhere to a process, um, mm-hmm. or continuing to build on their skills? Because, you know, a lot of salespeople, um, there's only so much sales training you can throw at a salesperson at the end of the day. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the concept of selling. I know that people would argue with me, but the concept of selling, yes, it's evolved, but the concepts are still the same. You know, some of the um, uh, how to influence and influence people from Dale Carnegie. Some of the concepts he talked about in 1936 mm-hmm. are ever so relevant today. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so how, how does how does an organisation that um, you know we, we've spoken about businesses that might not have had sales enablement? Now we're talking about mm-hmm. more mature organisations that have really been driving that function of um, mm-hmm. you know focus on development, process, mm-hmm. framework. What happens when that sort of plateaus. Yeah. So yeah, maybe um, a, a few data points to, to to back this up. So we found across the study, and the study is global, um, more than five hundred organizations worldwide. Yeah. So what we found is, if organizations made the steps into the world of sales enablement, they have usually much better quota attainment and win rate results compared okay. to the group that does not have anything called sales enablement. Yeah. So if you look, and that's first of all good news, you know, if this is 14% or 22% improvements compared to these two KPIs, it, it doesn't matter. So that's first of all good news. The devil is in the detail. So if we then look more specifically at who actually achieved you know, their senior executives' expectations, who met these expectations or exceeded them, then it's actually the case that only one third of organizations were able to do that. So they reported, yes, we met or exceeded um, the expectations. So that means we have two thirds that don't, that said, yeah, we met some expectations. And then we looked at the performance data again, and then we we had to see to state that these two thirds are actually investing in something called sales enablement. They are not yeah. very successful, so they were just a bit <clears throat> better than average. And this is not why you invest in something. Um, so the, the question is that was for us then, okay, what is the one third really doing differently? And it really starts with how we set it up. Yeah. Is it really, as I just shared, more set up in a more strategic way? Do we have a formal approach that's aligned to the strategy? Did we capture that in a charter that is really our guideline for the next 12 to 18 months, how we are running this in a consistent way? And it's a lot about senior executive buy-in and also about establishing a governance model that helps to keep the senior execs engaged and aligned. Because the problem with this is if, if you, you know, if you sound like sales training, you are treated like sales training. 
Yeah. But not as somebody who is running a function that helps me to achieve my strategic, my goals of my strategic initiatives. You know what I mean? It is really yes. important that also enablement leaders evolve in this path to to find their voice as as leaders that help to achieve the company's bigger goals. Yeah. And how important so is that? This is really, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and thanks for sharing that. And how important is, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, executive buy-in. How important mm-hmm. is, you know, the, 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 the C, the C-level executive buy-in in having an enablement strategy? Yeah, it depends if it's always a C-level. It definitely depends on how your organization is structured. So yeah. if, if you're in a large organization and you do this for a business unit only, but this business unit is, is like a big company yes. already, uh, then it's probably not the C-level. It's your managing director or whatever. Yeah. So it should be, you know, the sales leadership team. It should be aligned with the marketing and or the CX leadership teams or however okay. this is organized. But I, I would say plus product ideally. So this is really important to have all them on the same page. Um, and in organizations, what we found very interesting in high-performing organizations that have quota attainment results, you know, bigger than 80% quota attainment, which is great because yep. the industry average is around 53 or 54, sure. wherever you look at. So in these organizations, we found it interesting that they actually report very often to, to a C-level function. And, and which is not the chief sales officer or the chief revenue officer to the CEO or a COO or something like that, or chief yep. growth officer. Uh, so that was an interesting finding. So we will look at this in more detail in the, in, in next year's study. Yeah, but really the setup, the setup is really important and it's about to design what you do and how you do it. Okay. And can you just clarify that again? Um, you spoke about high performing mm-hmm. from a, from a quota, mm-hmm. I think 80%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you just clarify what, what what you just said there? Because I want to make sure. Yeah. That's so, really um, so the industry average of the percentage of salespeople achieving quota was in the enablement study about fifty three point seven percent. In our sales performance study, it was about fifty four percent. It was yep. last year fifty three percent. That's around the average what you see not only in our research but also in others. Yes. This is the average percentage of salespeople achieving quota, which is not a good number. It was no. <laughs> 63, 64% um, uh, 10 years ago yeah, or, or eight years ago. Um, <clears throat> so, and if you look, you have an organization that says, yes, in our organization, 80% of salespeople achieve or overachieve their quota, then that's definitely a big difference. Yeah, and this is the group we looked at and we found that in this group, more of the sales enablement teams report to the C-level. Okay. So they had a direct yeah. line. And that they, means beyond yep. beyond the sales leader, even if that's a, a chief sales officer role. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. It just goes to show that, yep. uh, you know. Um, yeah. That's a huge difference. It's in organi- yeah, it's in organizations that are also very focused on growth. Yeah. And the more important growth is for an organization, the more important sales enablement becomes because that's what we've seen, this idea of scalability is becoming more and more important for enablement teams. So if if you you have a fast growing organization and you know and your leadership team says, oh, we acquire a new company and we actually expect you to onboard them in the next three months to everything, then you know 
I have to have my sales enablement function set up in a way that I can scale what yeah. I provide. Yeah. And that means <clears throat> I have to make sure that I have processes in place. I have organized how we collaborate across teams. So this is formalized in one way or another, and I can actually be able to do that. And of course, then onboarding has a very uh, specific relevance then okay. even more. That's fantastic. Um, look, one of the things that I found quite surprising, I mean, um, in the report was around um, the enablement services for salespeople, though there's primary services mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. sales training and coaching. Um, can you mm-hmm. expand on that for us, please? Yeah, interestingly, you know, for four or five years in a row, sales training is still the most important yep. uh, service for um enablement teams and it covers everything from skills to product to methodology to process to tools to value messaging social selling value justification all of this Um, content became more important and sales coaching uh, became more important and we we see this year after year in the data uh, that all of these services impact performance if they are done properly if they meet expectations and they really engage sellers and then also help to engage buyer um, interactions with buyers. But sales coaching um, provided by the, ideally by the frontline sales managers is really the most effective service because if you design it the right way, you create a system that makes sure that sales managers um, drive reinforcement and adoption of the enablement services you provided to your salespeople. So it's very important to have the sales managers on the same page all the time. Yeah, no, I, I totally yeah. agree with that statement. Because you know, if uh, if whatever transformation you want to run, <clears throat> I'm sorry, okay. if it's not happening at the front line, it's not happening at all. Yeah, so that's very often overlooked and it's more, oh, we do this from an enablement perspective and the sales managers are, are not even heard. So I always love to work um, with very ambitious sales managers Yeah. and they are usually like A-player sales people. They're always interested in something that can help them to be more successful. Yeah. They were simply listening to it and you just, you don't have a second chance all the time, but if that's something that interest them and they say oh that's good for my team that makes us more effective they are on it yeah they and they work it. with you so it's yeah yeah and so did you and I, you might not have that data but did the when you did your your, your analysis and that the, the high performing organizations that achieved 80 percent um were you able to see you know whether they their leaders were good coaches did, did you get any insight into into how they coach or the effectiveness of coaching um, yeah, so we didn't map that out for this specific group for organization, but that's actually an interesting blog post idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so coaching in generally is getting more mature in organizations. Yeah. So just three years ago, we had 50% of the organization that said, oh, coaching in with us, it's believe it up to the managers. Yeah. And that's the same thing as saying nothing will ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we see that only around one third of organizations are saying it's left up to managers and um, they are, organizations are more moving in an informal and hopefully faster in an informal state, in a formal state of sales coaching. That means we have a coaching process aligned. Yeah. We have coaching guidelines. We have developed our managers to be effective coaches. And we make we have a cadence established to begin with this to, to, to get this um, up and running 
and we also measure success. So that's what we yeah. call a formal or even a dynamic coaching approach. And the impact is on win rates. It's a 16.6% win rate improvement in such a dynamic approach compared to the study's average. And it's around 10 or 11% improvement on the actual improvement on win rates in a formal coaching environment compared to the study's average. And that's huge. So if you ever have managed win rates in an organization, you usually know that one or two percentage points make or break the year. Yeah. And if you have an actual improvement in a two-digit manner, so that really cannot be ignored or should not be mm. ignored. Because there's, there's some pretty compelling statistics when you think about it mm -hmm. um, from, mm -hmm. you know, having a formal coaching or a dynamic coaching process and how that's linking mm -hmm. to, um, you know, to, to performance improvement. Uh, maybe we have mm -hmm. to jointly write a blog about that uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, so really appreciate you sharing that. I think, take, what if you're a sales professional? We have a lot of, you know, sales um, professionals that listen to this, uh, you know, from a whole range of different companies. They might not have, you know, that formal coaching within their business or that sales enablement function for them to access. Um, what are some of the things that they can do that will enable them to be more, a more effective salesperson? Okay, given a, you know, if I have a situation that nobody is supporting me yeah. <laughs> as a salesperson, um, I would always think and work from the customers okay. in mind, so backwards from the customer's past. So, and this is what, what everyone can do um, on his or her own. So, and this is simply understanding that customers have different challenges and different goals in different phases of their customer's path. Yeah. So if early on a customer is focused on understanding the problem and the business impact of a problem, I'm not pitching a product. I simply don't because it's not what they want. And it's it, they cannot even understand your wonderful product and services because they are just about to understand the problem they have to solve. So what they need in this point is this business perspective approach. So how can I solve this problem? And by the way, dear body, do you actually understand the whole impact? The impact is a bit bigger. So the problem yeah. is bigger and the opportunity is getting bigger. Um, so that's just very important. And this is where the value messaging is so important that I can talk to people re respecting their role and factoring in their role and the challenges they're in unless I can have this kind of conversation. And when they have committed to solve this problem that they need to buy something and there's maybe a formal RFP or whatever, or they make this commitment to buy something, then I, of course, have to share more about how this product specifically can solve this problem or this solution can solve this problem and also talk to different buyer roles that are involved. Yeah. Um, but this is more the time to talk about specifics of the product. But this business level conversation in the beginning, they are so important and then they're often not done or then sort of think, okay, they do all of this on their own anyways. Uh, you know, I'm not doing this so just because buyers do more on their own doesn't mean that we don't engage them early on actually the earlier you engage them and the earlier a sales manager can coach a leader on opportunity the more effective it will be because you can help to to shape that yep so for anyone yeah, so that's definitely yep. something you can always help and then also share this across your team and and, and for the sales managers that are maybe listening to this i would always focus on creating 
an atmosphere of sharing so that the A players in the team can share best practices what worked for them so that others can learn from it and that the whole team can can leverage these learnings. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, you know, just to repeat, we're going to focus on the customer and the problem that you can solve with the customer. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, and be really exactly. customer-centric. Because we did a, we did a buyer study um, also in, in 2018, can also be downloaded and see it at insights.com. Yeah. The four preferences for buyers, what is it they want sales to do more consistently and more often? There is not a single one that's around product or service. They want salespeople to be prepared. Um, They want that they are excellent at communication. And that means at all channels of communication. And they want sales, they want to learn something new. They want to understand something better. They want to be, to have someone who can help them, whatever they found online, to put that into their context, especially in a complex buying situation. And they also want that sellers are not running away when a deal has been closed. It doesn't mean to become the better service professional, but to, to stay responsive during this time and to be with them. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic. Um, yeah, you insight. see, these are four preferences. Nothing yep. about product. <laughs> it's all about helping them to to achieve the value they actually bought from you. I often say that the solution that we offer is a byproduct of the conversation that we have with our prospect and Absolutely. customer. Um, Absolutely. So, really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, on another topic, so now that you know, there's so much data that's coming through um, <laughs> from yeah, you know, insights. There's it's everywhere, right? Um, mm-hmm. I often I ask this. I've had this. I've had. I had a really good debate with with um, with Richard Harris uh, recently about this particular mm-hmm. topic. But in your opinion, is sales a science or an art? Ah, uh, it is both. Okay. Um, you know, if you ask this thirty or forty years ago, everyone would have said it's an art. So we actually don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, they say with all the technology, and well, ah, it's more a science. Um, But if you look closely at your high performance and your average sales force, so it's what we often ask organizations in our best practices, world-class practices study, do you know why your top performers are top performers? And most organizations don't. They know who they are, of course, but not why. So, and that's the piece of art that always comes into, you know, if you have a a players in your organization. I mean, they are the people who prepare a meeting, who do everything, maybe last minute or two days before, whatever, but they are fully prepared and they have everything in mind how they will run that meeting and they go into the meeting room and they feel the energy and sense what's going on and they will change the whole agenda just in a second and they will yep. be successful with that. So on one hand side, I drive out as crazy. On the other hand side, this is you know, they leverage not only their intellect, but all their intuition. And if you want to call that art, then that's the element they bring into this. Yeah, that's a great response. I would, I, I would want to say they, they leverage intellect and intuition, so data and intuition. And in our data and technology power time, we often overpower the intellect, you know, and try to to make intuition not important. And I think that's that's not the right way to do it. So it would yeah. always... I mean, people who are really powerful, they leverage all these elements, intellect and intuition and instincts. Yeah, fantastic. And so if you had the opportunity to go back in time and start your career again, (laughs) what would you do differently? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's interesting. Because, um, I mean, it took a long time to get into research. Um, yeah, you know, it took a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's also maybe part of my soul's journey that yeah. it takes some time to, to, to find that field and also yeah. to connect the dots and to, to do all the things. Um, yeah. I do at the moment and also the energy I bring into this. I think yeah. it, things have to grow and that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, uh, I, d I don't know. I will probably not have started an own business so early on because <laughs> I was definitely too young yeah. um, to deal with all the, the personal challenges that come with it. So I would have probably done that later and okay. get a lot more experience early on. But, you know, it happened for whatever reason and I know yeah. the reasons why and I took all the learnings with it and I think that's the most important thing. That's fantastic. So having that exposure to, you know, running your own business and, and, and being a consultant and, and being in sales, um, has that given you a really different lens when you're doing this research? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it helps you in a research role. You actually have, I mean, you have to take the time because you have to understand the bigger patterns in the data yep. and then to verify things with customers and to look at case studies and to look back at the industry, what are really the big patterns. Yeah. So, and this is very often what I experienced when I was a sales enablement leader, you don't have enough time to really understand what's currently going on. Yeah. Yeah. So because it's so pressured, it's so hectic, it's so fast. So, and I noticed from, yeah, many peers I have who are currently in this role to say, I know it's all good stuff, but I don't have the time. Yeah. I have to, and, and they were in such a tactical pressure and it doesn't make it always better, which is, I said earlier, so less is more. Yeah. yeah it's not about running five programs for the sales force, it's maybe only doing two and throwing away a lot of old stuff that's no longer relevant. Yeah. But that takes courage and it, it also takes the time to yeah. really prepare that decision as say, this is what we stop doing. Yeah. That takes time to come up with, yeah, no, you know, with this program, if you want to call it like this, this is what we stop doing. Yeah. Yeah, and it gives you more focus, right? So, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, focus and, and yeah, focus is important if you want to move energy, so we have to focus on it Yeah, and then we see a move. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I've, you know, thoroughly enjoyed this. I mean, this is, a, this is a topic that I'm really interested in and, um, I spend a lot of time researching, so I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Now you've mentioned a few reports and what we'll do, um, we'll get that mm -hmm. information from you and, and pop it in our show notes so our listeners can, can go and download, but where can, um, where can they connect with you and engage with your content? Can you please share, um, you know, where, where you, yeah, where you sure. spread the message? Yeah. So who is interested on, um, our content at CSO Insights, go to csoinsights.com. We have a blog. We, uh, publish usually Tuesdays and my blogs are usually published Thursdays. Yeah. Um, we have on that page a menu that's called research studies. So whatever is open market can be downloaded there. And we also have current studies. We are always looking for participants to take our new yeah. studies. So currently we are researching um, world-class practices. So if 
you want to feel inclined to help us with that, it would be highly appreciated. So the link are also on the website. And of course, we welcome members who want to dig more deeper into the members content. So yep. there are a couple of different memberships available. Otherwise, connect with me via LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. Oh, fantastic. Well, look, we really appreciate you having, you know, coming onto the show. And uh, look, there's so many other topics that uh, we'd love to have you back on again. Yeah. Thank you so much, Luigi. It was a great pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. What I loved about that episode with Tamara is that Tamara didn't start her career in sales. I love that Tamara began as a consultant and worked in non-sales roles before moving into the world of selling. This example again reinforces that sales is an art and can be learned and improved through training and development. My challenge to you for this week is, what is your focus when it comes to personal development? What skill will you focus on so that you can be the best sales professional you can be?